Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us and challenge us. Lord, I'd like to pray tonight that we would be good managers of time. Lord, so much time gets wasted. And I ask, Lord, that as your servants, we would redeem time. That we would use time for good purposes. Lord, speak to us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm very excited about our study tonight. It's a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. And we get to look at one of my favorite characters in the scripture. Ezra is one of my heroes. He is a tremendous example for all of us as Christians. He is a tremendous example for pastors and teachers in the body of Christ. And he was an instrument through which great revival broke out among the people of Israel. Just a mighty, mighty man of God. Before we get into it, let's be reminded of where we are in our history. Um, The southern kingdom of Judah, as you know, was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Many Jews were taken captive to Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Seventy years later, after the Medo-Persians took over for the Babylonians, the Jews were allowed to return home to Jerusalem. And they returned home in three stages, three phases. Phase one was under a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. It's recorded in the first six chapters of Ezra. About 50,000 Jews returned, and the temple was rebuilt under Zerubbabel. The second phase begins in Ezra chapter 7, all the way through the end of the book. And some Jews came back with Ezra, and they brought spiritual reform. By the way, there's about 60 years that takes place between chapter 6 and chapter 7. So... Ezra comes 60 years later, and if you remember, during that 60-year time period, the book of Esther took place, which we studied last time together. And then, of course, stage three is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is able to return to Jerusalem where they rebuild the city and the walls around Jerusalem. But tonight, we're right here on this second return under Ezra. So let's begin. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sareah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merijoth, the son of Zariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, <laughs> the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. I hope he didn't have to introduce himself to people that way. This Ezra came up from Babylon, 
And continuing in verse 6, it says he was a skilled scribe. A skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Okay, now understand something. Um, A lot of people don't realize this, but Ezra is a very significant man in the history of Israel. He played a very significant role in the history of Israel. In fact, to this very day, Jewish rabbis refer to Ezra as the second Moses. Now, Moses is held in high esteem. Ezra is held right up there on the same par by the Jewish people. Very significant person. His name means helper. He lived up to that name. He was a great helper to his people. We see here in that little mini genealogy that he is a priest. His lineage can be traced all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. So he's a priest and a very dedicated man of God. And the characteristic that really describes Ezra, you find there in chapter 6, or I'm sorry, in verse 6. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a what? He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. Now, that's what Ezra is known for, and that's why I love him so much. He was an expert in the written word of God of his day. A skilled scribe. And in order to become that way, he would have had to really... Um, shown a lot of dedication to do that. Because remember that Ezra was born in captivity. He was born in Babylon. He was never in Jerusalem. He never saw Jerusalem. He never saw the temple of Jerusalem. He was never in the Holy Land. He was born and raised in a foreign land. And by the grace of God, some copies of the scripture had made it with the captives to Babylon, some scrolls containing the law of Moses and the other portions of Scripture. And by the grace of God, he somehow got access to those scrolls. And he began to study them, and he became an expert in the Word of God. Jewish historians believe that it was Ezra who was the first member of that very dedicated, godly group of men called the scribes. In fact, in the New Testament, you read about the scribes, don't you? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, in the New Testament, they're basically portrayed negatively because by that time, they've become corrupt. By that time, they've become very legalistic. But when those guys first started off, way back in the days of Ezra, they were men on fire. They were men who loved God's word. Jewish historians also tell us that Ezra is believed to be the originator of the synagogue. 
Remember, he lives in Babylon, right? There's no temple in Jerusalem. He's never been to Jerusalem. So it was Ezra who established the synagogue in Babylon. What's a synagogue? Well, it's a building where the Jewish people meet. They hold worship services on the Sabbath. The copies of the scripture are stored there. People can go into the synagogue during the week and study the scriptures, and they have their services in the synagogue. Now, as you know today, Jews have been scattered all over the world, and all over the world, what do we have? Synagogues. There's a synagogue here in El Paso, right? All over the place, synagogue. Interesting that this guy, Ezra, originated that. You could even argue that he was the first really to establish what we've sort of followed as a local church model. The first Christians were Jews converted to Christ. And it was very easy to move from the synagogue system into a local church building system. Originally, they met in each other's homes, but as churches grew, they began to have their own buildings where they met, etc., etc., All of that can be traced back to Ezra in Babylon. Jewish historians also tell us that he was instrumental in the formation of the Old Testament canon. This was the guy who put the structure that we still have today in our Hebrew Bibles. The way the books were arranged in the Old Testament. And we also know that Ezra was an author of books that made it into the Old Testament. He wrote the book of First and Second Chronicles. He wrote this book, Ezra, which bears his name. Some believe that he wrote the book of Esther. And he certainly helped to write the book of Nehemiah along with Nehemiah. So this guy was a big wig scholar. Fully dedicated to the word of God, the scribe, the expert in the law. And he kept himself very, very busy while he was in Babylon. But in 458 BC, he was given an opportunity by King Artaxerxes I to take the 900 mile journey back to Jerusalem. And I can just see him going, what an opportunity! Never been there. I get to get back to Jerusalem. And so he took that journey. Look at verse 7. It says, Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. So he made the journey. He has a group of people with him, and he's in Jerusalem. Now, there's kind of a sad thing about this second phase. If you remember, when Zerubbabel came, 50,000 Jews came with him in stage one. And that sounds like a lot of people, doesn't it? But remember I told you that that was a very small percentage of the population that was in Babylon. Guess how many people came with Ezra? 5,000. 
1,500 guys and wives and children. And Ezra also had a very, very difficult time getting fellow Levites to come with him. So I think that's sad. Even a smaller, smaller percentage. There are so few of God's people who want to go on adventures. There are so many Christians who are just willing to sort of hang back and kick it. We need more Christians that are willing to, you know, get with the plan and go with Ezra. Take those journeys to the land. Okay, I want you to look at verse 10. Verse 10 is the verse that sums up Ezra. And this is where I kind of want to camp out for just a bit. Look what it says there. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Gang, that sums up Ezra. That is who Ezra was. And I personally believe that that's who we should be. I want you to notice that it says he prepared his heart. He fixed his heart. That means that Ezra had a singular purpose in life. He had a singular focus. He had one chief objective in his life. He had one mission statement in his life. And you know what it was? To be a man of the word of God. To be that skilled scribe. And in doing that, there were three tasks that he was committed to. What was the first thing that he did concerning the word of God? For Ezra had prepared his heart to what? To seek the law of the Lord. To seek diligently the law of the Lord. To inquire of the law of the Lord. The way we would put that today, Ezra was dedicated to studying his Bible. He was a student of the scripture and he was dedicated to studying his Bible. And I want to challenge you with that tonight. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how old you are. You are to be a committed student of the word of God for your entire life. Paul told Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's for all of us. Amen? We are all to be rightly dividing the word of God. We are all to be students of God's word. And let me say this, it is not enough for you to just hear the Bible taught on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or on a radio program. 
The challenge here is that all of us as Christians, if you're a Christian here tonight, we are to become personal students of the Word of God. We are to dedicate ourselves to it. You have to know the Bible for yourself. You know, you can listen to Bible teachers and people can twist the scriptures, can't they? So what do you do? Just listen to people who teach the Bible and nod? Yeah. We're to be Bereans. The book of Acts says these were more far-minded than those in Thessalonica, that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. There was a group of Bereans that would listen to Paul the Apostle preach. Now, I think he's a pretty good preacher, don't you? But they still searched the scriptures to check him out. So, folks, if they had to check the Apostle Paul out, you need to check Terry Gray out. You need to check every preacher out. We are all called to know our Bibles for ourselves, to study. You may be here tonight, and you may be a very young Christian. And the thought of studying this book intimidates you. A lot of people see the Bible as this mysterious book, right? That you find in a museum somewhere. And that it's only for the experts. Now, it's very easy if you put forth the effort. I want to give you a few suggestions. In order to get to know your Bible better, I challenge you to be consistently reading through God's Word for yourself. Can you read? Then consistently read through God's Word for yourself from cover to cover. And preferably, you would carve out some time to do this daily. Take the time to do that. There are wonderful um, resources that are available for us here in America. This is called the New King James Version Daily Bible. And every day of the year, you have readings out of the scripture. And if you follow it day by day, by the end of the year, you will have read through the entire Bible. Grab one. Start that. And then when you finish it that year, start over the next year. Just keep constantly, daily, reading through the Scripture. Seek the law of the Lord. Inquire. So I would give that recommendation, and that's just a matter of time, isn't it? That's all that is. It's a matter of time. Okay, then I would give this recommendation. Every year, do more in-depth studies. Pick a few books 
in the Bible every year and do your own personal study. Like, say, for one year, decide that you would like to study the book of James or the book of Matthew or the book of Genesis. Pick a few books every year. And you personally set aside time to study it a little more in depth. And again, we are so blessed because we have so many resources that can help you. Um, I recommend that every Christian should get a study Bible. A study Bible in the New King James or the NIV or any version. It's a bigger Bible. It has the biblical text, and in every book of the Bible, you have an opening introduction, you have historical settings, you have maps, you have notes. It is absolutely incredible, and it helps you. Show and tell tonight. The Jensen survey of the New Testament and the Jensen survey of the Old Testament, these two books. I've had these for 25 years. I learned these, and these have been incredible resources for me. Very small, simple books. Each one begins with an introductory couple chapters of what the Old Testament's like, what the New Testament's like. And then there's a chapter for each book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. All of the outlines are put there, uh, the key verses, the key phrases, the, the history of it. All of that put right there every year. Study a couple books in the New Testament. Study a couple books in the Old Testament using resources like that. Fruitful. Extremely fruitful. I want to show you something that I did. This is my baby. This is my first NIV Bible. When I got it, oh, I don't know, even before I left for college, it was completely blank. This is not a study Bible. All this has is the plain Biblical text, the NIV version. And I would read through it daily. And this sort of became the thing where I recorded all my notes. As I began to study each book of the Bible a little in depth on my own time, using other resources, I would write notes. I would outline this Bible. So there's what the opening page to my Ezekiel looks like. I've got all kinds of things going on there. Um, I don't know if you can see it real well, but I developed this coding system where orange highlight was prophecy, blue highlight was history, um, yellow highlight was something that was very devotional to me. And I wrote in my Bible like crazy. And as I went through that book, I put all those notes there, and that became a record. There's a page in this Bible, the book of James. 
And that is the exact same thing. So now I've done that for every single book in the Bible. So that after several years, this little guy became my very own study Bible. This was Terry Gray's study Bible. All my notes. And so whenever I looked at a, a scripture, I would, you could always turn to this and, and benefit from all kinds of research and notes that you've already done. And it's even kind of falling apart now. Got to be careful. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. Yep. This was a way, and, and I will tell you, God used that in a, in a, in a mighty, mighty way in my life. The other thing that you can do is you're studying books of the Bible in depth on your own is you can journal. Get yourself a journal and write notes. Keep it in a journal. The idea of getting a blank Bible and writing in it, this is a journal and a Bible. It's your own journal and your Bible all together. Uh, Go for it. Try it. The other way that you can study books in the Bible more in depth personally is get a part of a Bible study at a church where they're actually going through the Bible and giving you homework, giving you the assignment of actually studying that book of the Bible for yourself. Incredible. Everyone must study God's word for themselves. Read through it, and then take time to study each book a little more in depth on your own. And then if you really want to really go up, start memorizing God's Word. This is the topical memory system. This is from the Navigators. I got turned on to this halfway through college. And this is a scripture memory system. Um, In this box, you have different cards. These are cards that I've made, but they also have cards that are already printed up on different verses of the Bible. And and you just carry them around in your pocket, and you memorize them. You pull them up when you're in the gym, riding the bike, walking around, um, waiting at a red light, time away at lunch. And... This is where you're actually putting God's word into your heart, into your mind, and you begin to meditate on it. And let me tell you, it sinks deep. It's beautiful. And I want you to know tonight, if you will do this, it will dramatically electrify And change your Christian life. You are not going to believe how much you get to know. You're not going to believe how much better you get to know God. You're not going to believe how much blessing comes into your life. And you're not going to believe how much of a source of blessing you will be to others. Now some of you are saying, um, well, it sounds like a lot of time. It sounds like you, you could do that, preacher. You got all the time to do that, right? All this that I showed you, I did when I was in college. I did when I was working as an engineer, studying to get my master's in computer information system at the University of Phoenix, teaching at the School of Ministry in Calvary of Albuquerque, and dating my wife. 
I was very, very busy, just like many of you are. But you know, I found something. You will always find time for that which is really important to you. And see, for a lot of us, Netflix is really important. Wasting a lot of time. This does require discipline. But let me tell you this. Listen carefully. It's not drudgery. Please understand, it's not drudgery. When you start getting fired up for God's word, it'll be the greatest part of your day. It will, like I said, it will totally revolutionize your life. Seek the word of God. And then what's the second step? What else did Ezra do? Said he sought the law of the Lord, and then what did he do? To do it. He did it. He obeyed it. Bible study, listen carefully, is never, ever to be merely an academic exercise. It is never, ever, ever, ever meant to be simply intellectual. You are not to put all that time and effort into God's word in order to just get smart intellectually. It's not meant so that you can put a bunch of facts in your head and impress all your Christian friends at church. It's not so you know all the answers in Sunday school. It's not so you can win all the Bible trivia games. It's not so that you can send endlessly, sit endlessly for hours uh, debating all kinds of theological doctrines and things like that. It is not to be merely intellectual. You're to do it. So you invest that time, you study, you look, you prepare your heart to do so, and then you do it. You apply it. You live it. You follow it. You let it shape your life. James chapter 1 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now listen, you're blessed in what you do. You're not blessed in the reading, though it is a blessing. The blessing doesn't come in the research and in the studying. What does the blessing come in? It's the doing. It's reading God's word daily, becoming skilled in it, giving your, and then obeying, practicing it. That's the blessing. And folks, that works in anything. I mean, if, if you want to become a good golfer, do you become a good golfer by reading all of the golf instructional books in the library? Is that how you become a good golfer? Just read the instruction books? No, you have to read the instruction books and then go out onto the range, get a bucket of balls, start swinging. Do you become a good businessman or businesswoman by reading all the books on business? No, what do you have to do? 
You have to go out there and practice what you're learning. It is the exact same way with the scripture. This is the instructional manual on life. God's word that speaks into every area of your life. And you practice it. This book tells us how to handle our money. And so you do it that way. This book tells us how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good parent. This book tells us how to uh, get along with other people. You get all of that information and then you do it. You practice it. You apply it. This book tells us that we are to serve other people. You read in the scripture that we're to have fellowship with other Christians. And so what do you do? You go have fellowship with other Christians. You take what you learn and you apply it. You live it. You do it. As Ezra said. And let me just share this. Um, This is where the daily reading of the scripture, I think, really gets exciting. Because I have found, as I am just daily, consistently, usually in the morning, reading through the scripture, very often, I will read something in the Bible in the morning that I will get to apply that very day. It's like the Holy Spirit leads you to a passage, a word, a principle. And you go about your day, and you get to use it right then and there. That's awesome. I mean, that is so awesome. Because at times like that, you know God's with you reading. His heart, his fingers on you. He's preparing you for that day. The most exciting thing. I remember I tried that out many years ago. And I, this is such a dramatic uh, story for me. I remember it so well. It it was in the morning. I was in Albuquerque. I was uh, working as an engineer. And in the morning, I was reading through Proverbs. And I got to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, which says, a gentle answer, you've heard this, right? Turns away wrath. But a harsh answer does what? Stirs up anger. So I heard that. And I prayed, God, I want to apply that today. Give me an opportunity to apply that today. And so I went to work looking for somebody to fight with. (laughs) Looking for a conflict. Looking for somebody to say something nasty to me. And I made it through the whole day and not one conflict. I was so bummed. So I'm leaving that night and uh, the, the... The office was on a curve. It's on a real bend, and we're, like, right around the curve. And I pull out right as a guy who's going about 70 miles an hour, just flying around that corner. And I cut him off bad. I mean, it was like a... He almost hit my bumper. And, of course, we later on is down the light, so he comes swinging around, rolls down that window, and he wasn't very nice. Shaking his fists, making all kinds of gestures, screaming at me. And it was so funny. Right there in that moment, I thought, here's my opportunity. (laughs) And it was so cool. So I just quietly rolled down the window. And I looked at the guy and I said, hi, 
I'm so sorry. I did not mean to cut you off. But you have to admit you were kind of going around that curve a little quick. But that's okay. Everything's cool. Everything cool? And his eyes were like those cartoon character eyes. You know what I'm... (laughs) Completely disarmed him. Completely disarmed him. He went back into his chair and he looks at me and goes, that's cool, dude. Rolled up the window. And that was it. And I never forgot that. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Now, what would have happened if I got mad? We'd have been in a fight, wouldn't we? It would have been road rage max. I would have been on, well, there wasn't YouTube back then. But there would have been a big fight. It would have stirred up anger. But that was an example where I just read that morning that principle. I asked God to let me apply that principle in a practical way that day. And guess what God did? He gave me that opportunity. And I tell you what, when God begins to do things like that in your life, everything changes. Everything's exciting. So he studied it. He did it. And then what's step three? To teach. He prepared his heart to seek to do and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra was a teacher. And he was a gifted teacher. He studied God's word. He did it. He applied it to himself. And then he taught it. Now I want you to notice. He taught God's word. He didn't teach his own opinions. He didn't teach other people's opinions. He didn't teach his own, you know, he didn't go on his own rants, get on his own soapbox. He was a teacher of the word of God. And there is no doubt in my mind that he is the best example for us as teachers, as pastors in the body of Christ. To teach the word of God. Now you might say, well, I don't like to speak in front of people and I'm not a, I'm not a a teacher, per se. Hey, listen. We are all called to share. Every single one of us as Christians. We are all called to share what we've learned. What we've learned. Those, Those golden nuggets that we pulled out. You know, those 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 buckets that we've gotten from the well. Share. We all have an opportunity to share. We all have an opportunity to be, I mean, in a one-on-one counseling situation. Somebody at work says, hey, I got a problem. Can Can I talk to you? There you go. As a parent, as a mom, as a dad of small kids, teenagers. Share. Study, do, and then share. And by the way, those steps are very important in that order. You know, some people like to study and then teach. And you know what that makes them? Hypocrites. Because they stand in pulpits and teach people to do things that they're not doing. 
I've even heard a few preachers who go directly to step three. They just teach. So they don't study or do anything. They wing it, and you don't know what they're talking about. Study, seek, do, and then share. Teach. Oh, my friend. Oh, my friend. That's, that's what every Christian should do. You understand? And, and here's the thing. It is completely available. It's completely available. To every single one of us. No matter where you are in your Christian life. You make that effort. You will be an absolute blessing. You will receive a blessing. Now Ezra. Personally blessed. But also a channel of blessing. To his nation. When he gets to Jerusalem. There are some issues, and he teaches the Word of God, and he takes his people uh, through some issues. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, would you turn there? This is where God uses Ezra in a great revival. In Nehemiah chapter 8, 14 years have passed. Since Ezra first got, Nehemiah and his group have ended up in Jerusalem. And at this point, they have done the job. They have uh, built, rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem, the city and all that, despite all kinds of opposition, all kinds of issues they had. They've got it done. We'll cover that next time together in Peaks. But here in chapter 8, they're done. They have a city. They have the walls. They have the temple. And now all that's left is to make sure that the people of God will be spiritually healthy. And they desperately need a revival. And so look what happens and look at the instrument that God uses. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Do you see that? So Ezra the scribe, I find this fascinating, stood on a platform of wood, the first pulpit, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand, stood a bunch of guys that I can't pronounce. Verse 5. And Ezra did what with the book? He opened it. He opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, verse 7, a bunch of guys that I can't pronounce. 
helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Check this out. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Now, this is essentially like a, like a church service, isn't it? It's actually more like a Christian crusade. It's an open air. They're at the open square right in front of the new water gate in the walls that have just been rebuilt. There's like 50,000 people who have gathered. That's the estimate. They've made a stage. Ezra gets up on the stage above the crowd to address the crowd. There's an air of anticipation as the people have gathered. It says at one point they're raising their hands. They're saying, amen, amen. They're in it. And what does Ezra do at that moment? Does he get up there and rant? Does he get up there and share his politics? No, he gets up there and he boldly, clearly, simply teaches the written word of God. It says they brought the book. It's always a good thing to do at church. Bring the book. Bring your Bible. Verse 5 says they opened the book. They actually opened the Bible in that service. You know, there are some churches where they bring a Bible, but it never gets cracked. Which is so sad. They just kind of have it. It's like show. Well, in that service back then, they opened it. Verses 2 through 3 says they read through the book. From morning to midday. So like from 6 a.m. to noon. You think our services are long? Six-hour service reading through the Scripture. All the people there in great anticipation. And then Ezra, along with some other skilled scribes and teachers, did this with the word of God. I think this is so beautiful. This is the part that jumps out at me. The end of verse 7. They helped people to understand. And the people stood in their place. They read distinctly from the book. That is, they read the Bible clearly. And they gave the sense. They helped the people to understand. That's what they did. They just made God's word understandable. They explained it in such a way that you could understand. Oh, let me tell you, that is the passion of my life. I labor in God's word, so when I bring God's word, when I get to teach it, and I consider it an incredible honor and a huge responsibility. But one of the greatest moments in my life is when I watch light bulbs go off. When people, maybe for the first time, understand the Bible, a passage in the scripture. Not, not me, not what I'm saying. My excitement goes when people walk away and say, I know that passage. I know what that means. 
and I know how to apply that to my life. And my friends, that it excites me so much because they can understand it and they can readily begin to apply it to their lives. And it excites me because their excitement will spill over into their own personal Bible study. Because when you see that the word of God can be understood, you're going to go home and you're going to say, Holy Spirit, help me. So I want you to see, there was nothing big here. A wooden platform. Guys with the Bible. Opening it up. Teaching it. And making it understandable. That's it. And look what happened. Verse 9. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept. When they heard the words of the law. That's what happens when the Bible gets taught plainly. There's conviction. People will weep. People will mourn. They're listening to parts of the law and they're saying, that's God's word and I'm not living up to that. And and I need to repent and I need to turn. And there's genuine conviction and repentance among God's people. Now, Ezra did not convict them. Do you see that? Ezra wasn't manipulating a crowd, getting them to weep and mourn. Ezra was just simply teaching the word of God, and it's the word of God that does the convicting. Every now and then, somebody comes up to me after a service and says, were you following me around this week? As if I was following them around that week. When you teach the word of God, the word of God speaks to you because the Spirit of God has been following you around all week. And the Scripture, faithfully proclaimed, will do all of the convicting. Preachers don't have to muster that. They don't have to fabricate that. It's just the plain teaching of the Word of God. So there's conviction, and then look what else we find, verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send potions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy, and do not be grieved. And look at this. All the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and rejoice greatly. Why did they rejoice greatly? Because they understood The words that were declared to them. See, when God's people understand God's word, they rejoice. And there's revival. And there's conviction. And there's repentance. And then there's joy. From the teaching of the word of God. From being dedicated to the word of God personally in your life. J. Edwin Orr defined revival as the spirit of God working through the word of God in the lives of the people of God. That's it. This is something we are to do personally. And this is something that we are to do corporately. 
and the Lord can do amazing things. Amen? Amen. Let's stop right there. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Father, I pray that that as your people, we would truly love your word. We would love your word. Lord, give us a passion for your word, a hunger for your word. Lord, I pray that my prayer greatly tonight is that you have greatly encouraged your people to see that it's just, it's right there for the taking. It's right there, Lord. Teach us that. You want us to know your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would just... We'd we'd give ourselves to it. Lord, we'll turn off the TV for a bit. Grab up some resources. Study, work, memorize. Lord, that we might know you better. That we might serve you better. That we might be better witnesses for you. So Lord, give us that encouragement tonight. Lord, for those who have read your word many, many times and are consistent, I pray that they would keep it up. Lord, for those who were very passionate about it in years gone by, but have let it go, I pray that you bring them back. Lord, for the brand new believers... Encourage them. May your word be known by your people and followed by your people. In the power of your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand.